Gee, I'm sorry. I didn't hear you in all this rain. You have special episodes? Oh, we have 12 special episodes. We are on every podcasting platform. Oh, I was just scrolling for a film podcast. I knew you must have. Nobody ever listens to the movie loot unless they've done that. But there's no sense dwelling on our losses. We just keep on recording and releasing episodes and following the formalities. Hello looters, welcome to special episode 13 of the Movie Loot, the special episodes that come out every other month where the loot is a specific scene I love from a film I love. I take that scene, break it apart, analyze it, see why it works. If you dig this, then make sure you go back and listen to our other 12 special episodes. They range from films like Alien and Seven to Shawshank Redemption and When Harry Met Sally. So a bit for everyone, I guess. Last month was Alfred Hitchcock's birthday, and I had the opportunity to record our regular episode 67, The Hitchcock Loot, along with Hitchcock expert Tony Lee Morrell. So when the time came to record this special episode, it made sense to dedicate it to one of the films from Master of Suspense. And although there's not a shortage of great scenes to choose from, I decided to focus on one scene from Psycho, specifically the conversation that Norman and Marion have in the Bates Motel parlor or backroom. But first, a bit of background. Psycho is definitely the first Hitchcock film I saw. I must have seen it at some point during the 90s when I started to get into films more seriously, and I'm pretty sure I like it from the beginning, but it has been with every subsequent viewing that I've really learned to appreciate how great the film it is. But moreover, how excellent both Jana Lee and Anthony Perkins are in their roles. In fact, I said it in that conversation I had with Tony Lee, but Perkins' performance has easily become one of my favorite male performances. The more I see him, the more I admire his little mannerisms, his body language, how he uses his voice, everything about his performance is just masterful. And this scene is a showcase of all of that. Now we warn, like all my special episodes, this will be an in-depth discussion, so the film will be spoiled. If you haven't seen Psycho and you don't know what happens, then I don't know where you've been, but check it out, then you can come back and listen to the episode. As of now, Psycho is streaming free on Peacock and Showtime, but it's available for rent on most streaming platforms. So let's begin. Here we have a quiet little motel, when in fact it has now become known as the scene of the crime. Can you have a vacancy? No, we have 12 vacancies. You know this is the first place that looks like it's hiding from the world? I think that... We're all in our private traps, clamped in them. And none of us can ever get out. Is anyone at home? Oh, that that, uh, that must be my mother. Is anything wrong? as if there's something wrong? She's not missing so much as she's run away. Put me down! Mother! Oh, God! Mother! What are you running away from? She looked like a wrong one to you. It's not as if she were a... 
A maniac. She just goes a little mad sometimes. So to set things up, Psycho is a psychological horror thriller released in 1960. It is written by Joseph Stefano and directed by the master Alfred Hitchcock. Although initially controversial with critics, the film was a huge commercial success and led to four Academy Award nominations, including one for Lee and one for Hitchcock. The film follows Lee as Marion Crane, a real estate secretary that steals a cash payment from his boss and goes on the run thinking about helping her boyfriend Sam. On the road, she decides to stop at the remote Bates Motel where she's met by owner Norman Bates, played by Perkins. And after leading her into her room, cabin number one, he brings her something to eat and they have an interesting conversation in the parlor or back room of the motel, a sort of office slash studio. A conversation where they talk about his hobbies, his mother, and why people do the things they do. A conversation that, even if you didn't know the twist of the film, it would be creepy. But when you know the twist, it's just creepier. So to analyze that scene, I'm going to talk about five things. First, the setup. This scene, this conversation, occurs around 30 minutes into the film, right after Marion arrives at the motel. As we know, she is pretty much on the run after stealing $40,000 from her boss that she plans to use to help her boyfriend Sam with his debts so they can get married. For 30 minutes, we've been following Marion. We've been seeing things from her perspective and her point of view. And we pretty much identify with her. The stop at the motel is supposed to be a moment for her to ease down, since the pace since she left Phoenix has been pretty much non-stop, full of tense encounters with her own boss at a stoplight, the police, a car dealer. So this is the first time in a while that she gets to just let go and quote-unquote relax. Of course, we all know that won't be the case. Marion is met at the motel by Norman, who seems to be struggling with his domineering mother, whom we can hear in the distance as Norman comes down to bring some food to Marion. So we're already aware that there's something going on here. There's some repression, regardless of the twist. And Marion, who has been the audience proxy so far, can also hear this. So she's aware as well. So there's already an awkward atmosphere between the two. The presence of Norman comes to challenge and eventually destroy what has been our perspective and point of view in this film. And that shift starts in this conversation. 
Which leads me to my second point, which is the setting, the place that Hitchcock chooses for this conversation. And Hitchcock chooses a little room that Norman has in the back of the motel receiving area, a place where he can showcase his hobby, which is taxidermy. Taxidermy is the art of preserving an animal's body via mounting over an armature or stuffing for the purpose of display or study. And in this room, you can see bunches of birds mounted all over the place. This only adds to the creepiness and awkwardness of the interaction because obviously Marion is a bit taken aback by it, but she's polite enough to disguise it a bit and even ask about it. You, you eat like a bird. You know, of course. No, not really. Anyway, I hear the expression, eats like a bird, is really a fault. False, falsity, because birds really eat a tremendous lot. But I don't really know anything about birds. My hobby is stuffing things, you know, taxidermy. And I guess I'd just rather stuff birds because I hate the look of beasts when they're stuffed. You know, foxes and chimps. Some, some people even stuff dogs and cats, but oh, I can't do that. I think only birds look well stuffed because, well, because they're kind of passive to begin with. It's a strange hobby. Curious. Uncommon, too. Oh, I imagine so. And it's, uh, it's not as expensive as you'd think. It's cheap, really. You know, needles, thread, sawdust. The chemicals are the only thing that, that, that cost anything. A man should have a hobby. Norman even starts a conversation with that awkward line about how Marion eats like a bird, but eventually it leads into a conversation about his hobby. And as he describes it, knowing the twist, you know our minds are all thinking about how far we know he has taken this hobby. And there are some interesting directorial choices here, which leads me to the third point. And that third point is the direction from Hitchcock, and also the cinematography from John L. Russell. Both the direction and cinematography in this scene are very intentional. As a matter of fact, they were both nominated, but the thing is that the camera placement, the framing of the whole scene is superb. It starts with both Marion and Norman in the same frame, as she sits to it, but Hitchcock quickly separates them in opposite directions, and this is the moment where Hitchcock forces us to change our perspective from following Marion to following both Marion and Norman, and eventually follow Norman alone. So you get this back and forth shots between both, and in every shot of Marion, she's off to the left side of the screen, while every shot of Norman, he's off to the right side of the screen. And every time you see Norman, you can see one or more stuffed birds in the background, always surrounded by death, which, again, when you know what is really going on, it only makes it more terrifying. As the conversation goes on, Hitchcock closes in on each of them, and by the end, Norman is very much at the center of the frame, still surrounded by death, but not to the side anymore, as the conversation becomes more tense and he seems to get more angry. Which leads me to my fourth point, the conversation, the dialogue, the script by Joseph Stefano. And I love how it starts with that awkward line about how Marion eats like a bird, but then goes into seemingly mundane topics like how birds eat, taxidermy, his job, and then it starts going into more serious territory as Marion starts asking about Norman's relationship with his mother and how she thinks she treats him, and then it goes on about what she's running from and how we live in our own traps, and there's a line here where I think is that things start to get serious. A hobby's supposed to pass the time, not fill it. Is your time so empty? No. Uh, well, I, I run the office, and uh, 
tend the cabins and grounds and, and do little uh, errands for my mother, the one she allows I might be capable of doing. And do you go out with friends? Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. You've never had an empty moment in your entire life, have you? Only my share. Where are you going? I didn't mean to pry. I'm looking for a private island. What are you running away from? Why do you ask that? People never run away from anything. The rain didn't last long, did it? You know what I think? I think that... we're all in our private traps, clamped in them, and none of us can ever get out. We scratch and, and claw, but only at the air, only at each other. And for all of it, we never budge an inch. Sometimes we deliberately step into those traps. I was born in mine. I don't mind it anymore. Oh, but you should. You should mind it. Oh, I do. <laughs> but I say I don't. And it's that line about never having an empty moment in her life. Shortly after that, Norman goes on his little private traps monologue, which I think is a great moment and a great showcase of Perkins' acting skills, to start going from a meek and perhaps fragile man to something that can be a bit more dangerous, more menacing. And it's on the script, yes, and on the direction and cinematography as it shifts to Perkins' side with the camera pointing from below, and you see that big owl on the background, but there's a lot on Perkins' delivery and body language which leads me into my fifth point, the performances. When I first saw this film, I must have been 15, 16 maybe, and although I liked it, it didn't blow me away. But as I rewatched it, I started to appreciate more and more, especially Perkins' performance, like I said in the opening. Something I said on that latest episode with Tony Lee Morale was that Perkins' performance would probably be on the very top of my favorite male performances ever, and I stand by that. He's so good. Like I said in the opening, his voice, his body language, his little mannerisms, the way he changes his voice from stuttering and fumbling words to more determined and concise delivery, it's masterful. And like I said before, towards the end of this scene, you see how he ramps up the tension in the conversation. Why don't you go away? To a private island like you? No. Not like me. I couldn't do that. Who'd look after her? She'd be alone up there. The fire would go out. It'd be cold and damp like a grave. If you love someone, you don't do that to them even if you hate them. You understand? I don't hate her. I hate what she's become. I hate the illness. Wouldn't it be better if you put her someplace? You mean an institution? A madhouse? People always call a madhouse someplace, don't they? Put her in someplace. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it to sound uncaring. What do you know about caring? Have you ever seen the inside of one of those places? A 
laughing and the tears and the cruel eyes studying you. My mother there. But she's harmless. She's as harmless as one of those stuffed birds. I am sorry. I, I only felt... It seems she's hurting you. I meant well. People always mean well. They cluck their thick tongues and shake their heads and suggest oh so very delicately. Of course, I've suggested it myself. But I hate to even think about it. She needs me. It's not as if she were a... A maniac, a raving thing. She just goes a little mad sometimes. We all go a little mad sometimes. Haven't you? Yes. Sometimes just one time can be enough. Like I said before, this is the moment when Hitchcock puts the camera right in front of Norman's face. He's in the middle of the frame now, not to the side anymore. His posture is more aggressive than he was at the beginning, and you practically think he's going to jump on Marion until she backs down. It's pretty much like a predator slash prey situation, and it's the moment where these two perspectives and points of view of the film clash, and Perkins is excellent in it. And Jenna Lee is not far behind, she's also great in showing her politeness in the middle of awkwardness, showing that to a certain extent she cares about Norman and his predicament, perhaps cared too much, which eventually leads to her demise. Obviously, we all know what happens. After she leaves to her room, you get the notion that she's decided to go back and face the consequences of her theft. But before doing that, she decides to take a shower. And there is a symbolism there of water washing away her sins or her guilt. But right at that moment, she's killed by quote-unquote Norma. The result of her conversation with Norman about what to do with her. Why don't you leave? Why don't you put her in an institution? So we have to ask, would anything have happened if Marion hadn't asked too many questions? If she had just gone to her cabin, laid low and waited the night out? But she couldn't help herself to listen to Norman arguing with her quote-unquote mother, and she couldn't help to ask maybe more questions than she should have. Which is not a bad thing, because you get the idea that she really cares about his situation, and reinforces our perspective that Marion is not necessarily a bad person. Sure, she stole money, but just because she wants to have a proper relationship with her boyfriend. And the way the film reinforces this is by showing us that the guy that she stole it from is an asshole. But there's that moral ambiguity which my guest Tony Lee brought up repeatedly in our previous episode. And all through Marion's trip, you can see the guilt in her, something that Norman brings up during the conversation, our own private traps. Which brings us to one of the main themes of the film, which is voyeurism, looking at things you shouldn't, listening to things you shouldn't, prying into other people's private affairs, which is something that both Marion and Norman do in this conversation. And from then on, Hitchcock pulls out the trick of shifting the narrative and the perspective to Norman, leading us into the second half of the film. And I think it's a masterful move. And it all starts here in this scene, with this conversation about birds, taxidermy, and our own personal traps. So, 
Those are my thoughts on that great scene from Psycho, a scene that, again, is a showcase for everyone involved, from Hitchcock and cinematographer Russell to screenwriter Stefano, and finally Perkins and Lee. I know that the shower scene is the one that gets most hits, but I think this scene is a turning point of the film. But, like I said in the beginning, there's not a shortage of great scenes, great moments, great things to talk about from Psycho. So as usual, I went and asked my friends on Twitter to let me know what is their favorite scene or moment from the film, and this is what I got. My friends from In Film We Trust podcast at IFWT Pod said, The way Hitchcock makes us complicit in Norman Bates' voyeurism, incredibly subversive for the time. We discussed such a theme in our new episode on Body Double. Hashtag shameless plug. I see what you're doing. The Cultworthy Podcast said, My all-time favorite Hitchcock shot is right up Perkins' nose. Brilliance. And I think they refer to that close-up scene of Perkins towards the end of the scene we just talked when the conversation heats up and Hitchcock puts the camera right on Perkins' face. My friend Darren Lomberg at D.W. Lomberg from the Nostalgia Cast podcast said, Not a specific scene or moment, but the way that Hitchcock uses mirrors as a comment on reflection and duality, Marion as a reflection of who she is versus what she's become, and Norman, who typically avoids being seen in mirrors, as a literal representation of duality. My friend Frank Mendoza at FilmBuff1974 said, The suspicious Arbogast interrogating the jittery, candy-corn-munching Norman in the office, the overlapping dialogue and non-verbal facial reactions to what each other is saying is perfectly executed choreography. And Hungry Dad at Walter Flipstick said, Arbogast climbing the stairs and the viewer becoming a fly on the wall, parenthesis ceiling, as Mrs. Bates comes out to meet him, really works for me. All that build-up and then the reminder that you are just the voyeur and powerless to intervene. And I'm glad both Frank and Walter mentioned Arbogast, played by Martin Balsam, because I think he's fantastic. I said as much in my Hitchcock episode with Tony Lee, because after we lose Lee halfway through the film, Balsam fills up the screen. For as little as Norman allows him to be in, but that's more than enough to let us know how great of an actor he was. And the scene where he meets his demise, like Walter said, is yet another example of Hitchcock's domain of the camera. My friend Ken at InterKen said, We get the psychology scene wrong from how it plays in other movies. Listen to what he's really saying. Compare it to what we know of Norman, and it becomes clear that Psycho is teasing us with the easy closure we expect. The most disturbing ending is that there is no closure. And finally, Phil Sagan said, An example of masterful storytelling, after Marion decides to right her wrong, she steps into a shower and is instantly elated as she feels the guilt wash off of her, only to horrifically realize seconds later that sometimes something once done can't be undone. So, thanks to everybody for sharing their thoughts. And that's all on Psycho. Thanks so much for listening to this special episode of The Movie Loot. If you like this breakdown and have any thoughts to share, look me up on Twitter at my personal account at TFCGT or the podcast account at TMML2021. We appreciate any help you can give us in spreading the word and sharing the loot, whether it is telling others about the loot, retweeting our episodes, rating and or reviewing the show on whatever platform you listen to, or maybe even support us monetarily at our coffee page, which you can find in our Twitter bio. Any help we can get to keep the show going will be greatly appreciated. Also, stay tuned for our next episode, The August Loot, which will be the birthday loot where I will share my thoughts on all the films that some of you gifted me, and that will be coming within the next week, hopefully. In the meantime, don't get off the main road, but if you do, don't go snooping on other people's basements, but more importantly, don't get in the shower.
Mother, oh God, mother, blood, blood.